Book One, Chapter Eleven of the History of Pompey the Little. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. The History of Pompey the Little, or The Life and Adventures of a Lapdog, by Francis Coventry. Book One, Chapter Eleven A Stroke at the Methodists. They arrived at Lady Harridan's about seven o'clock in the evening, and were immediately conducted upstairs to her lady's dining-room, where they found a large company of women assembled. On the first sight of so many ladies, I believe our hero concluded he was got into some rout or drum, such as he had often seen at Lady Tempest's. Yet on the other hand, he knew not well how to reconcile many appearances with such a supposition. He saw no cards, he heard no laughing. The solemn faces of the servants who now and then appeared, the sober looks of the company, everything seemed to inform him that pleasure never could be the cause of this assembly. It was indeed a sisterhood of the godly, met together to bewail the vanities of human life, and congratulate one another on their common good luck in breaking away from the enchantments of a sinful world. The causes which had converted them to Methodism were almost as various as the several characters of the converts. Some the ill success of their charms had driven to despair, others a consciousness of too great success had touched with repentance, and both these terminated in superstitious melancholy. Disappointed love and criminal amour, though opposite in nature, here wrought the same effects. Thunder and lightning, ill-omened dreams, earthquakes, vapors, smallpox, all had their converts in this religious collection. But far the most part of them, like the noble president, were women fatigued and worn out in the vanities of life, the battered and superannuated jades of pleasure, who, being grown sick of themselves and weary of the world, were now fled to Methodism merely as the newest sort of folly that had lately been invented. Species non omnibus una, nec diversa tamen, qualem desit esse sororum. The appearance of Lady Betty in such a company as this, was like a wasp's invading a nest of drones. She was too spirited, too much dressed, too worldly to be agreeable to them, and they in return gave as little pleasure to her. In short, she very soon found herself out of her element, and after sitting a few minutes only, rose up and began to make her departing curtsies. "'Why, sure you are not going, Lady Betty,' cried the mother. "'I presumed upon your staying the evening with us.' "'No, thank you,' replied the daughter. "'Another time, if you please, mamma. "'But you seem to be all too religious abundantly for me at present. "'I can't afford to say my prayers above once a week, mamma. "'And tis not Sunday to-day, according to my calculation. "'For shame! For shame, my dear! "'Don't indulge such levity of discourse,' said Lady Harridan. "'Let me prevail on you to stay, Lady Betty, "'and I am sure we shall make a convert of you. "'There is that tranquillity, my dear.' that composure, that serenity of mind attending Methodism, that I am sure no person who judges fairly can refuse to embrace it. Pleasure, my dear, is all vanity and folly, an unquiet, empty, transient delusion. Believe me, child, I have experienced it. I have proved the vanity of it, and depend upon it, sooner or later you will come to the same way of thinking. Very likely I may, replied Lady Betty. "'But you'll give me leave to grow a little wickeder first, won't you, mamma? "'I have not sense enough at present. "'I am not quite wicked enough as yet to turn Methodist.' "'Fie! Fie!' 
"'Don't encourage that licentiousness of conversation,' cries the old lady. "'You shock me, my dear, beyond measure. "'You make my blood run cold again to hear you. "'But let me beseech you to stay, "'and you'll have the pleasure of hearing the dear Whitefield talk on this subject. "'We expect him every minute.' "'Do you?' says Lady Betty. "'Then upon my honour I'll hie me away this moment, "'for I'll promise you, mamma, "'I have not the least desire or curiosity to hear the dear Whitefield.' and so your servant ladies your servant having said this she brushed downstairs and left the company astonished at her profaneness as lady betty went out the dear whitefield and his brother apostle entered who were the only people wanting to complete this religious collection on their appearance the mysteries began and they all fell to lamenting the wickedness of their former lives the great guilt of loving cards the exceeding sinfulness of having been fond of dancing in their youthful days were enumerated as sins of the most atrocious quality, whilst other crimes, of a nature perhaps not inferior to these, were very prudently kept out of sight. Then Mr. Whitefield began to preach the history of his life, and related the many combats and desperate encounter he has had with the devil, how Satan confined him to his chamber once at college, and permitted him not to eat for several days together with ten thousand other malicious pranks played by the prince of darkness on the body of that unfortunate adventurer if we may believe his own journals he proceeded in the next place to describe the many miracles which heaven has wrought in his favour how it ceased to rain once and the sun broke out on a sudden just as he was beginning to preach on the kennington common with a million more equally stupendous prodigies which show how great an interest heaven takes in all the actions of that religious mountebank when the company had enjoyed enough of the scriptural and suspicious conversation they proceeded in the last place to singing of psalms and this concluded the superstition of the evening all the former part of the time our hero sat very composed and quietly before the fire but when they began to chant their hymns surprised and astonished with the novelty of this proceeding he fell to howling with the most sonorous accent and in a key much higher than any of the screaming sisters nor was this all for presently afterwards mr whitefield attempting to stroke him he snarled and bit his finger which being the self-same indignity that lucian formerly offered to the hand of a similar impostor we thought it not beneath the dignity of this history to relate it to say the truth i believe he had taken some disgust to that exceeding pious gentleman for besides these two instances of ill behaviour he was guilty of a much greater rudeness the next day to his works lady harridan as soon as she arose the next morning sent for her little granddaughter immediately into her close and made her repeat some long methodistical prayers after which she heard her read several pages out of the apostle's journal and then they went to breakfast but by mistake left poor pompey shut up in the closet the little prisoner scratched very impatiently to be released and made various attempts to open the door but not having the good fortune to succeed he leapt upon the table and wantonly did his occasions upon the field preacher's memoirs which lay open upon it whether this was done to express his contempt of the book or merely from an incapacity of suppressing his needs is hardly possible for us to determine though we are sensible how much it would exalt him in the reader's esteem to ascribe it to the former motive and indeed it must be confessed that his choosing to drop his superfluities on so particular a spot may very well countenance such a suspicion but unless we had the talents of aesop to interpret the sentiments of brutes it will forever be impossible to come at the truth of this important affair 
However that be, Lady Harridan unfortunately returned to her close soon afterwards, and saw the crime he had been guilty of. Rage and indignation sparkled in her eyes. She rang her bell instantly with the greatest fury, and on the appearance of a footman, ordered him immediately to be hanged. His young mistress, whose love for him had long since cooled, and who besides feared her great-grandmamma's resentment, did not think proper to oppose the sentence. He was had away, therefore, that moment to execution, which I dare say, courteous reader, thou art extremely glad to hear, as it would put a period to his history, and prevent thee from misspending any more of thy precious time. But, alas, thy hopes are in vain. Thy labors are not yet at an end. The footman, who happened to have some few grains of compassion in his nature, instead of obeying his lady's orders, sold him that day for a pint of porter to an alehouse-keeper's daughter in Tiburn Road. Here, then, gentle friend, if thou art tired, let me advise thee to desist and fall asleep, or if perchance thy spirits are fresh, and thou dost not yet begin to yawn, proceed on courageously, and thou wilt in good time arrive at the end of thy journey. End of chapter 11 Recording by Patty Cunningham